This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We stood in another house in Kfaraz, a completely burnt house. Really didn't feel safe to stand in the house because no. it could have fallen down at any minute. And there was a woman there with her son rummaging around the house taking photos and at the time, you can only go to these places if you're on an official government delegation with approved permission. So we said to the person, how come you're here? And she said, well, this was my house a few weeks ago. Hamas terrorists entered their home on October 7th and they hid inside the beds in the safe room. It was one of those beds which you lift up and there's a cupboard inside. Yeah. They hid inside the cupboards and they heard Hamas terrorists open the door to the safe room, load their guns, click the guns, look around, didn't see anything, so they walked out the room. And... A few minutes later, they heard the sound of fire. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. He co-wrote a New York Times bestseller at 17. Dov Foreman's finished up a law degree while working at Westminster for former cabinet minister Robert Jenrick. With his great-grandmother, Lily Ebert, he's built up a TikTok following of over 2 million, bringing Holocaust education to a digital generation vulnerable to being exposed to historical distortions and libels. I promise you, we have not done no murder, nothing wrong things. Only our problem was we were born Jewish and we kept our belief and I am keeping and carry on to do as long as I have life in my body. Lily's promise, how I survived Auschwitz and found the strength to live, resonates yet again as the Jewish people suffer a devastating pogrom in Israel. October the 7th will change the Jewish state forever. As an influencer with a platform, more than that, a highly focused, intelligent young man Dov was invited by Elnet UK to Israel on a solidarity mission to see for himself the trail of death and devastation left by Hamas through Kibbutz Kafar Aza. Scenes and smells, he says, have changed him forever. And Elnet's been running constant missions since October the 7th for European influencers and parliamentarians. Almost 100 MPs from eight European countries have been to Israel to bear witness. And Elnet UK's role in London is to stand above politics, a bipartisan cross-party international organisation working to advance UK-Israel relations. And amid new denials from enemies of Israel and the Jewish people, Dov declares, Oh, it happened all right and Hamas will pay a heavy price for this destruction. Tragically, so will the Jewish people. Dov Foreman, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you very much, and honoured to be with you today after almost two years now, I think, of trying to get a podcast together. Hashem works in mysterious ways because the time has come for us to talk about the recent Elnet UK mission that you went on. 
tragically in the weeks after October the 7th, he basically have seen the world's biggest and worst crime scenes. Yes, as you say, a shame that this is what brought us together. But again, a pleasure to be with you to talk about this important trip which I went on in the wake of October 7th when we've seen so much anti-Semitism rise across the world and when we've seen so much October 7th denial riding similar to that which I experience on social media every day in terms of Holocaust denial and distortion. And it's strange that whilst Hamas was so proud of their actions and filled them, filmed these actions on their mobile phones and their GoPros that we're seeing such denial. It's absurd to me after the so many MPs have seen the 46-minute Hamas documentary of the of the crimes against humanity which they committed. And those are the crimes against humanity which I witnessed as I walked around Kfar Aza, as I walked around the site of the near the Nova Music Festival where the cars were burned from the RPGs and the grenades which were thrown and, and launched towards innocent civilians who were trying to escape the massacre which was taking place by thousands of Hamas terrorists in the 22 communities and the site of the Nova Music Festival which surrounds the Gaza border. And the scenes which I witnessed on that trip just a few weeks after the October 7th massacre are scenes which will never leave my mind. These are things which when you see them you can't take those pictures away and, and I've seen those videos, the Hamas videos and I, I will never forget those. This, this scene of someone who has been shot lying on the floor and Hamas terrorists taking a spade to his head and, and chopping his head off. Those are, are videos which I'll never forget but it's so important for someone like me who has a platform and who has possibly an influence to, to see those things because I know that no matter what someone says to me and no matter what lies people spread about perhaps this not happening, I know that I've seen those videos. I've been to Kvaraza, I've seen the sign in front of a house of Kvaraza which says human remains on the sofa and I've seen that sofa and I've seen the blood on that sofa and I know that for the rest of my life I will be able to go and tell and show people the pictures which I took there and, and tell people this happened and we need to remove the ideology of hatred no matter who it's directed towards whether it's directed towards Jews or Muslims or Christians we need to remove that ideology from the world because this, similar to the Holocaust is what can happen when hatred is left unchecked when that ideology is left to spew unchecked and unchallenged and we're seeing that ideology in American universities and the top institutions we're seeing that in United Kingdom's universities we're seeing that across the west across the world and it's up to us it's up to people with a platform whether that be on social media or in person it's up to the politicians to say this ideology is not okay and we're going to take that ideology and we're going to stamp it out and we're going to replace it with an ideology of love because my great-grandmother who's nearly a hundred Lily Ebert Lily Ebert always says she's an Auschwitz survivor that hate only breeds hate. And no matter who you are, what race, ethnicity, religion, when you cut us, we all bleed the same colour, and that's red. And it's up to us to ensure that people learn that message. It's the lies which are just unbelievable to see in real time. Holocaust denial, we experienced it in comparative peacetime with David Irving. And we're seeing it on the TV every day. We're seeing it with so-called influencers saying, ah... But, you know, have you got, ah, have you got proof? And this needs to be stamped out. The idea that this war is literally between lies and truth. It's just hard to believe. But it's very difficult to look at this with any moral equivalence at all. I know that we're biased, and this is a Jewish podcast. But there are a lot of lies being told and people coalescing around those lies. 
Yes, I think, firstly, war is terrible. No one wants to see war. Often in war, people who are fighting them will even forget what they're fighting for. And it's important that we realise that, and that especially Jewish people emphasise the fact that Jews don't want to see war. We don't want to see this war happening. This isn't a war we chose. This is a war which was placed upon us on October 7th. On October 6th, there was a ceasefire. On October 7th, that was broken. And that's why the cause for ceasefire simply are illogical, because a ceasefire would only allow Hamas to regroup. And of course, we want to see humanitarian aid going into Gaza. We want to see civilian lives upheld on both sides. We want to see safety and security for Israeli civilians. And that's why we need to eradicate Hamas. We also want to see um, Gazan civilians get the aid which is promised them and not for that aid to go to terror tunnels in Gaza. They've got a metro which is similar to the size of some of the metros in um, in in Europe. And I saw those weapons when I went on this trip with Elnet. I saw the cache of weapons which were collected, brought in by Hamas on October 7th. And you can see RPGs created in Russia, North Korea, China, Iran. And that's why this is so dangerous, because this is a war quite literally against an evil axis of powers who want to destroy the West, who want to destroy our democracies, our love for each other, and instead want to instill hate into people. But as you say, this is a war of of good versus evil, a war of lies versus truth. And the problem is we're seeing people like Iran sponsoring on social media bot accounts to spread lies, to spread false information. And that's actually filtering down onto our streets here in Western societies in the United States and the United Kingdom. We are seeing not mass terror as we are in the Middle East, but we're seeing social tensions rising in that we are seeing people who genuinely believe that the state of Israel, a state which once was seen as a technology superpower born after the Holocaust by a nation who were murdered, mass murdered for no reason other than their religion, who came and created a peaceful, the only democracy in the Middle East. That's not any longer how Israel is seen by these youth because of social media, because of TikTok, where I have over 2.1 million followers, where they can scroll through and see Osama bin Laden's letter to America about Israel going viral. And that's not being stopped by these social media companies. They have a big role to play. That's actually affecting us here on the ground. And I felt that myself on university campus. Mm. I've experienced a lot of anti-Semitism. Some of my friends are scared to even step foot on university campus. They have now returned. But in the weeks following October 7th, they had to go back to online lessons like they were doing during COVID. And that's not acceptable. Jewish students, Jewish individuals across the world should be able to learn in peace, should be able to live their life in peace without fear. And I myself receive thousands of, of hateful messages every single day. And that's why it's so important that people like Elnet take people like myself, influencers, if you want to call it, on social media creators, but also politicians, as they've done. I think it's now over 100 MPs that they've taken since October 7th. And it's so important for them to take influential people because those are the people who actually influence the population. And, and when we have MPs in the weeks or even the days following October 7th, straight away, immediately call for a ceasefire. To me, that seems that they don't want Israeli civilians to live in peace and security. You just mentioned you went to Kfar Aza. Aza is Ivrit for Gaza. It just demonstrates just how close it is to the Gazan border. This was the dream and ideal of David Ben-Gurion, who said, we can't just guard our borders with military guns and bases. We need schools and clinics and farmers You said you saw a sign which said human remains here. You're 20 years old. You go and see that. What does that do to you? What does that do to you, Dov? Firstly, as you say, this is so close to the border that when we were standing next to the gate, which was infiltrated by terrorists, they told us to move because they saw that there were snipers looking at our position from Gaza. 
that's how close we were to the border. You could actually see the border fence and you could see the direct line in which the terrorists took the hostages from Kfaraza wow. back into Gaza. Wow. Kfaraza was a population in which 10% of, of their population was either murdered by Hamas terrorists on October 7th or abducted. Now, when we were stood in the house with human remains, and you see that sofa, you see the blood on the walls, you see the blood on the sofa, you see the bullet holes, you see the grenades, markings. These are, as I said at the beginning, scenes which I will never forget, scenes mm. which will never leave my mind. And, and unfortunately, it has taken a toll, but it's important for me to go and see that. And I think if I don't go and see that, then how can I do the job which I do, which is to go and influence others and tell them what happens. I think it's important that you go there, you see it, and that way you can look someone in the eye and you can say, no, 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 you're wrong. I know it happened. I I was there. I saw the blood on the sofa. I smelt the smell of death in that house. Mm -hmm. And we stood... (laughs) What does that smell like? What is it? I don't even know how you can describe it. It's... It was like a, a, the worst kind of stuffy room. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this was even just even a few weeks after that smell mm, still mm, lingered in mm, the room. Mm. And we stood in another house in Kfaraza, completely burnt house. Yeah. Really didn't feel safe to stand in the house because no. it could have fallen down any minute. And there was a woman there with her son rummaging around the house taking photos and at the time, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but I think it is, you can only go to these places if you're on an official government delegation with approved permission. So we said to the person, how come you're here? And she said, well, this was my house a few weeks ago. And I saw her son and I so I went to speak to her son and he was rummaging around. I have photos of it. And he was looking for any of his possessions which had survived. And Hamas terror entered their home on October 7th and they hid inside the bed in the safe room. It was one of those beds which you lift up and there's a cupboard inside. Yeah. They hid inside the cupboard and they heard Hamas terrorists open the door to the safe room, load their guns, click the guns, look around, didn't see anything, so they walked out the room. And a few minutes later, they heard the sound of fire, crackling sound. And they waited in the house because they knew the terrorists were all around the area. Not still in the house, but around the house, they could hear them. Not around, sort of outside the house. They could hear the terrorists shooting in the neighbours' houses and speaking. And so they didn't want to leave the house, but eventually the fumes got too much. They waited until the, the, the whole house was burnt. They ran out, they jumped through the window, ran into the garden and hid in their garden shed for a further 10 hours. And eventually they heard the sound of an IDF tank and they knew that that was freedom. But even then they didn't trust that that was freedom because they had heard reports from other kibbutzim where Hamas terrorists had stolen tanks yes. and were driving around. And so they weren't, they weren't sure, but eventually they came out and they were saved. And then they realised, well, Where's the husband? And, well, they knew he wasn't with them, but they thought that he was hiding in someone else's house and they were looking around. He wasn't in any of the houses. And um, they realised that he had been shot and he was in a coma in one of the hospitals. Luckily, he wasn't taken hostage. And they went to see him and he, he's now survived. And Amazing. I will never forget Thank that. that exactly I was waiting for the... Yeah. I was waiting for that. But I will never forget the, the mother saying to us how lucky she is. Yeah. How lucky she is to be in that situation that she doesn't have a home, that she can't return to her kibbutz. You must remember that these kibbutzim are some of the most peaceful and beautiful areas in, 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 in the country. And actually, she said that the cleaner that she had in her house, she used to collect from, I think it was one of the crossings, Erez crossing or the Karim Shalom crossing, she used to employ a Gazan who actually, instead of just working for her, used to go and do reconnaissance and used to take maps of the area and then provided that to the Hamas terrorists right. who on October 7th knew exactly which houses each family lived in in the area. And these are stories which 
as only 20 years old will stay with me for the rest of my life. When I was 20, Dov, we were living in a completely different time. The 80s was supposed to be the decade of the Grand Recession, of infrastructural destruction, and yet it ended up in a boom. And in 1987, around the time that I was 20, we had a stock market crash, which kind of brought it to a close. But you are growing up in a time which is literally unrecognisable. From the time that you were a teenager till now, and you're just turning into the man who's left teenage, (laughs) how do you think this is going to take you forward as a person? Does it give you more of a mission in life? Does it make you more focused? Have you lost your joie de vivre? Have you lost your sense of humour? You know, what impact has it had on you? I think the experiences that we have as young children, but even in your teenage years, and even growing up and even past that, I wouldn't know because I'm not yet, but they shape us and they shape our experiences going forward. They shape our ideologies. They shape our minds. They they shape our humour. They shape our relationships with people. And the experiences which I've had growing up as the great-grandson of a Holocaust survivor, knowing her story, writing her book, hearing her story in depth, the things which she saw are also terrible. I could go on for even more terrible. I could go on for, for days to talk about that. So those are experiences which have shaped me, and perhaps that's why I'm so interested in this now. And those things which I saw in Israel, I've grown up knowing the story of my grandmother, but you can't comprehend it because I've been to Auschwitz more than three times, and I've heard those stories, but... It, so long after that even hearing like a gum of the story so many times I feel part of that story I know that story off by heart and I feel my great grandmother's pain at times it's in the but, Haggadah isn't it exactly. that we too should uh, be the children of Israel leaving Egypt exactly. it is literally exactly. the echoes of our entire history and that's Jewish people pay so much emphasis on our history on knowing our grandparents great grandparents history on knowing our great 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 grandparents history as you say when we were slaves in Egypt and all of the Jews almost know that story and so it's those experiences which shape us. And it's also these experiences in Faraza which will shape me. And fortunately, I've been able to sort of place those to one side of my mind. But they always do play on the mind. Those scenes which you saw, those stories which I heard, the videos which I watched. And I'm sure that they will continue to haunt me for the rest of my life. But I hope they don't. Life, life I hope doesn't. That, I hope that you are able to put them in their place in a way that when you mourn someone as that is part of life, that you're able to remember them and can live your life. And that can be enhanced that your your life moving forward can be enhanced by knowing that there is horror, but also there's great joy as well. And and I was about to get onto that point, but also Johnny, there's there's one point which is that life doesn't go on the same way after October 7th. I do think it's important to emphasise that. For Jewish people across the world, life hasn't been the same since October 7th. It's now December the 18th. But for many Jewish people, including myself, it's still October 7th. We're still stuck in the pain, in the trauma, but not just that. We're stuck in that fight against terror, not just the Israeli soldiers and the Israelis living there 4,000 miles away. Also, us here in the United Kingdom, also the Jews across the world are stuck in that fight against terror, against the evil, against the ideology of hatred across the world, because we've seen thousands of people going out being hatred, hateful on our streets, and if they're not being hateful, they're not standing up to hatred. 
And it's up to us, even here in the United Kingdom, to stand up to that. So life doesn't go on the same way. And it's for that reason that I wear a necklace, which I received from the hostage forum in Israel, which says, Our hearts are held hostage in Gaza. Bring them home now. And that's because Jewish people across the world mourn our brothers and sisters. And whilst they may not be our actual brothers and sisters, they feel like our kin, like our families, because that's what the Jewish family is. That's what being Jewish is about. We always pay Jewish geography. We yeah. always pay Jewish yeah. geography, and we know that one another. I asked you a only... silly question before the tape went on about <laughs> exactly. your surname. Are only ever one or two degrees yeah. apart. I know so many people, and sure. if it's not direct relation, then it's one after that. It's not who, far who away. Who were either held hostage or murdered? Exactly. Of and course. I will just say how lucky Jews are to be alive in this period where we have yeah. government support, where we are able to practice our freedom yes. of religion here in the United Kingdom across the world. I mean, whilst at the moment it seems like anti-Semitism is at an all-time high, but we must remember that we are incredibly lucky. We have, at times it may not seem that way, but we have the government on our side. We have, we do have allies. We had that incredible march against anti-Semitism where they say there was, I don't know the exact numbers, but around 100,000 people there. And so we, we've got to remember that we have people on our side. I work for a, an ex-government minister now who... Robert Jenry. <laughs> who um, has been incredibly supportive when he was in government and now, and I've seen throughout the government, people who care, who want the Jewish people to be, feel safe in our religion and who we are. Shukwech, amen, kol hakavod. Elnet UK really put a great deal of effort into their trips. Joan Ryan, Yossi Abravnel, and just observing the schedule, which was extremely intense, as they always are, they make you tired, <laughs> but they fill you full of facts and information and new perspectives. What was the highlight from your particular trip? The briefings. Okay, yes, know, yeah, what yeah. were the most inspiring words, perhaps, that you saw, the most informed, the trip to the Knesset? Yeah, it was important sort of to thing. go to the, the Knesset, to hear from the, the members of the Israeli parliament, to hear their perspective on what's going on and the importance of safety and security, and also to hear from IDF chiefs, to hear from Israeli police chiefs, actually one of them was British, um, who made Aliyah many years ago, who moved to Israel. Who and, was? Um, Mickey Rosenfeld. Mickey Rosenfeld. Yeah. Um, and to hear... He's the only cop I know in Israel, <laughs> he's the famous one. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> to hear his stories of what he did in the days after October 7th as part yeah. of the police, but also just to hear his insights into what happened, how yeah. they managed to breach the security of what we once thought was possibly the most secure border in the world. Oh, yeah. Well, well, on that question, were, were the, was the IDF, were they humbled? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's the worst breach of the IDF probably ever, Look, they including said, 1973. They all said, including the members of parliament, that there'll be an inquiry after and they will admit their, their mistakes. I mean, it's not a very Israeli attitude to life, is it? No, but they're, all, <laughs> but, they're all going to go they're on. They're going to have to. a new generation um, of leadership in, yeah, in every, look, in every look, area. After such tragedies, it's important that we that we assess what happened and we, we understand the, the mistakes which were made. And that's the same for anyone in life. I think we can always put that into our lives, which is when something goes wrong, when you make a mistake, you have to own up to those. And you then have to learn from them and implement them into your own life. And so I hope that those in Israel will do the same thing. Absolutely right. It is a country which learns from its mistakes fast. And it seems to me that every time a tragedy or something negative, maybe not a tragedy, something that's negative befalls the country, a new committee is set up, <laughs> a new ground up, not top-down organisation 
is set up and it's the grist of the nation, isn't it? Israel is full of NGOs yeah. and NGOs community which, groups. NGOs, which I should say, have worked so hard over the years for peace, for love, yeah. to foster big, yeah. greater connection, coexistence. And that's something which so often people forget. But also what I'll say is that the Jewish people, the Israeli nation, the world should and probably will become stronger after this, will rebuild like the Jews did after the Holocaust. The Jewish people in Israel and the Israeli society, but the Jewish people across the world will be more resilient, will be more prepared, and we will we will emerge stronger. And at times it doesn't seem that way, but we always do emerge stronger because that's the way of life. And also the way of life is that light is always at the end of the darkest tunnel and there will be light at the end of this tunnel too. And that's something which my good grandmother says helped her get through Auschwitz. And that's something which everyone should take forward now and will help us get through this time, which is that there is always light, there is always positivity and there are always good and inspiring stories which come out even of the greatest darkness. How is Lily Ebbett? <laughs> How is, is she? How is great-grandma? She's nearly 100. Um, Please go on. And then look, she's has good days and bad days like everyone. Um, but on a good day, she you could have a conversation with her about her childhood yeah. almost 100 years ago. So in that sense, she's incredible. Um, and look, we hope that she continues to live in health and happiness for many more years to come. As she would understand, bis 120. Yes, exactly, until uh, 120. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> as my dear grandma Oliver Shalom would say, because this is where our parallel lives exist, because yep. there wasn't social media in those days. <laughs> Uh, but there was a cassette machine, and my grandma and me chewed the fat in her front room in Birmingham, and I did exactly the same as you. And the purpose of it was to show my children that one day... I wanted to explain to them that we're not from here, and that the older generation had funny accents, and they arrived here under a great deal of pressure. Uh, and my grandma told me her whole story... And listening to it on cassette, my parents and my uncle didn't know exactly the details of how she arrived here. And she arrived here in September 38. My grandfather, Oliver Shalom, arrived in April 39, so he lived through Kristallnacht in hiding. And his business was confiscated, and he was told by... Uh, a local officer that this is the guy taking over your business it's a typewriter mechanics business off you go and out you go but i must tell you a little story my parents was on the on the train in vienna when i went you see and we was not allowed to take anything and but i had my case you see and a bit of jewelry you know my hand this and a bit of jewelry and the parents was very upset, and I was very upset. And I went from there to Vienna. And I and Mama put me in a, well, it was 29, you know, in a, in, in a department where a couple was a very nice mm-hmm. couple. I mean, I found it out afterwards, it was a very nice couple, mm-hmm. you know, but I had no, I was very upset, you mm-hmm. know, but I know I can't come back more. But in any way... Was this the train going to Budapest? To Budapest. Yeah, yeah. And before we came to the border, there... Um, what do you call him? Um, what ticket like? inspector. Ticket inspector came. And I had to say my passport. And he said, don't worry. Don't worry, lady, you know. Uh, 
don't worry, I'm right, you will back again, we'll be back again one day. Oh, right, yes. You see. <laughs> but in any way, well, I was afraid, you know, something will happen but on the border, they can send me back or something. Yeah, yeah. But in any way, this couple said, don't worry about us. We will, we will do anything, to, we will do nothing to you. Mm -hmm. Let me have all your belongings, you know, the jewelry and stuff, or money. Mm -hmm. I give it you when we're over the border. I was a bit worried, but... Why? Why would you, why would you want to give it them? No, they would take it, possibly the SS men would come, oh, and the Jewish, well, they would, well, you know. And I think, I was so upset, I think I don't know. But in any way, I gave them what I had, I had not a lot, mm. but a little bit. And they was very, very nice. And when we took the border, you know, mm. the SS men came and looked everywhere, and they gave it me back here. Yeah. And I thank him. But in any way, they asked me where I went. And I said, I go to France also. And I wrote them then when I was there, a thank letter. And I wrote them, I'm in hospital. I was with a breakdown. And they came to see me. Oh, really? Very, very, very nice. nice. Yeah. But I think this was Yugoslav people yeah. or something. What so they call it, have yeah. you lost contact with them now? Yeah, yeah. Immediately. They never, I never yeah. saw them again. Yeah. And all of this was described, but my grandma, a bit like your great-grandma, speaks with unfathomable joy about the life that they found in London and in Birmingham and how they were always forward-thinking. And I'm from Birmingham and it's Gun Eden. It sounds funny, but I wouldn't swap Birmingham and it's chimneys and its factories for the chocolate cake of Vienna and its dancing horses any day of the week because what they created after the war thanks to the tolerance of this society was a new life and incredibly fast yeah and my great grandmother as you say is the same story yeah because you're the next generation that's why she's your great grandmother yes yeah. and this was my grandma yeah, we, we always rebuild, we always come back with extra strength. Yeah. And as I said, that's what we'll do now with joy and positivity. And of course, as you say, we'll, we'll mourn and we'll continue to have that pain in the back of our heads in a certain compartment for the rest of our lives as a collective because this is the worst tragedy against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And similar to how we remember the Holocaust, we will remember the crimes against humanity of October 7th and the tragedy that took place then babies murdered in front of their parents, parents in front, murdered in front of their children and babies. We are lucky that we have someone that can protect that in the wake of such an event of October 7th because there was a time when such a thing like October 7th would have happened and we wouldn't have been able to fight back and we wouldn't have been able to stop that. And we know that Hamas, they say it in their charter and they've said it since October 7th, would do October 7th again, again and, and again, again and, and again. again. And it's for that reason that we need to eradicate Hamas because it's not only the Jews that they want to persecute and murder. They want to destroy the Western ideology of freedom of democracy, but they also don't allow minorities to flourish in Gaza. And we want to see minorities, we want to see people being able to live with freedoms, all different types of people live in peace. And so that's why Hamas, for the sake of humanity, needs to be destroyed, not just for the sake of the Jewish people. And finally, Donov, peace in the region will not come out of Gaza at the moment. It will not come out of Judea and Samaria. 
For the simple reasons, firstly, that the Palestinians don't have a leadership with which Israel can negotiate with. But secondly, there are stakeholders within the region, thank goodness for the sake of Israel, that can be negotiated with. We have the miracle of the Abraham Accords. We have an up and down relationship with the White House, depending on who's in it every four years. But is it true to say that peace can come out of, and I'm going to be specific here, a Saudi-sponsored initiative alongside whoever's in the White House? I was about to say that we've, I thought you left Saudi Arabia out there by mistake of the list, but now now I see. I think perhaps October 7th took place at the time it did because whichever leadership it was, Iran or Sinwar, whoever it was, made the decision that they don't want that peace to take place with Saudi Arabia. The peace which would, again, show the world, like the Abraham Accords did, that we want peace as a nation, that we want to create a Middle East where there's trading partnerships, where there's economic benefits for for everyone. I have family who went to Dubai after the uh, Abraham Accords. I'm sure many people listening to too and to other places. I went to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, there we go. In the pursuit of peace. And uh, Exactly. And, and it's incredible. Who would have thought that a Jew could go there? I have people that I have friends who go there, outwardly Jewish signs, and no one cares mm. because that's what peace can achieve. And people who say that there can't ever be peace are simply wrong because we've seen that there can be peace with our cousins, with our neighbours, um, whether it's in Abu Dhabi, whether it's in Saudi Arabia. Who knows what's going to happen in Saudi Arabia? But hopefully, after this war, they will sign a, a peace deal. But the point is that I think there can be peace. Someone will need to make concessions somewhere, um, and that's never an easy thing to do. But I think we've seen that peace can be brokered through international counterparts. We've seen that through the Abraham Accords. We've seen that through Camp David. We've seen that in many other places. We've seen lasting peace with Egypt and other countries. And hopefully we can see that too eventually um, with our neighbours in Gaza. I think that's a fantastic way to end this interview. You've said the word peace about 10 times, (laughs) which is what this podcast is about, which what this conversation is all about. Dolph Foreman, thank you very much for joining me on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. There's a lot of competing attention for you, I do know. You're probably consuming more media than ever before to be right up to speed with what's going on in Israel and back home. I'm playing my part in the best way I can, using my journalistic and production skills to make the case for Israel via this, Johnny Gould's Jewish State, and I've done it since 2018. If you enjoy my podcast, and you'd rather it existed than not, that I kept doing it, you can support me very simply by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash johnnygould because it really helps. Tell your friends, subscribe now if you haven't already, scroll back and look through the 120 previous episodes. And as always, thank you for listening.